the, the Bolivar Lighthouse and the South Jetty Lighthouse were built to work together because the Bolivar Light is ranged inside the entrance to the bay and the South Jetty Light is out at the base of the South Jetty. The ships coming in could line them up to know if they were headed for the mouth of the bay or not. I'm Jim Fox, and welcome to the Loom Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live. This episode of the Loom Innovation Podcast is brought to you in part by... The Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company. 20 different flavors of pecans to choose from. Whether you want in-shell, cracked, chocolate, or candied pecans, the Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company has you covered. Don't forget about their pecan pies and fudge as well. If you live anywhere in Central Texas, stop by their shop at 2626 Highway 71 West in Cedar Creek. If you live anywhere else, keep in mind that they mail pecans all over the country. Give them a call at 1-800-518-3870 or go to birdall.com. That's B-E-R-D-O-L-L.com. All of the pecan products are grown, prepared, and cooked right there in Cedar Creek by the Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company. Welcome to the Loom Innovation Podcast. I'm Jim Fox. The guest for today's show is Mark Boyt. Mark and his family are the co-owners of a lighthouse. That's right, a lighthouse, specifically the Bolivar Lighthouse. The 148-year-old structure rises 117 feet above sea level here on the upper Texas coast. Mark is joining me by phone from Austin, Texas. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, glad to have you. I've got to say, I've, I've never really before talked to anyone or met anyone who owns a lighthouse. I bet that makes for some interesting conversation with people you meet. How does that go? Well, it, it, it's, it's pretty interesting because uh, a lot of people do know about the Oliver Point Lighthouse. It's a very distinctive and iconic structure on the, on the Upper Coast. So when they find out, you know, sometimes they get pretty excited and they want to know all about, you know, why and how and you know, what, what's going on with it and stuff like that. So uh, it, it can be very interesting. Yeah, let's set the scene for the listeners. Uh, where exactly, you know, so we've got listeners from who knows where all <laughs> over the country. Uh, where exactly is the Bolivar Peninsula? And then where on the peninsula is the lighthouse? Well, the Bolivar Peninsula is on the upper Texas coast, not too far from Louisiana. Uh, the Bolivar Peninsula is the easternmost portion of Galveston County. Uh, there are no incorporated towns or cities on the Bolivar Peninsula. Uh, and the lighthouse sits at the point, which is uh, the most westerly extension of the peninsula. And it is the north side of the entrance to the Galveston Bay system. Yeah, to the casual observer, it may look like a barrier island, just like Galveston Island, but it's actually connected to the mainland way up on the north, 25 miles away from the lighthouse. But, but it's basically an island, but technically it's a peninsula. Uh, just north of Galveston. That's right, right. And they, they recently closed Rollover Pass at Gilchrist, and so now it is an, a de facto peninsula now and not an artificial island. 
Got it. Yeah, that's been a bit of a controversial thing for a number of years, and the fishermen were pushing back against that. But uh, but that's the way it is now. Talk a bit about the history of the lighthouse. Uh, this thing was uh, built back in 1872, right? That's correct. Uh, so uh, after the Civil War, uh, the federal government wanted to uh, show the South that they were committed to uh, you know the Union, and uh, they appropriated lots of money to rebuild aids to navigation along the Gulf Coast that uh, had been dismantled or destroyed during the Civil War. The uh, lighthouse in Bolivar had been dismantled uh, by the Confederates uh, so the building materials could be reused uh, for other purposes. Yeah, so that Um, original one was built when, in the 1850s or so? 1850s, I believe. Yeah, I believe that's correct. And then it it. It may not have been in the exact same spot, but I, that's another that's another story. Uh, I have no way of knowing if it was or was not. Yeah, I read a bit about that uh, that original one, and uh, like you mentioned, it was torn down during the Civil War, not only to reuse the materials, but also to prohibit the lighthouse uh, being used to be aiding the enemy from coming into port, right? Cor- well, correct, yeah. The, the Confederates, uh, the Union blockaded the port of Galveston, and uh, the Confederates were continuously running this blockade. They would have ships from Cuba that would come over and they would try to sneak in along the Bolivar side of the bay uh, to get supplies that were much needed into Galveston, um, which was still Confederate held. And uh, there was actually a wreck of a uh, steamship right off of the North Jetty in Bolivar. There was a blockade runner that uh, ran aground. And uh, part of its boiler is still exposed during very low tides. So the uh, lighthouse board uh, appropriated the money for a new lighthouse at uh, Bolivar Point. Uh, Bids went out and a firm out of New York won the bid. And they cast all the iron sections there. And uh, as part of the bid specifications, they actually had to demonstrate the tower's uh, uh, construction by uh, erecting it in New York. Wow. And then taking it all back apart and putting it into into uh, large boxes, I assume, to have it uh, shipped to New Orleans, and then it came overland on a train. That's amazing. I, I didn't know that part of the history. So it, did the construction start in 1872, or did it end then? When did it officially become operational? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, the, the uh, completion of the construction was in 1872, and... There, I should know the date that the light first was illuminated, but I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, I would imagine it took them the better part of a year to build it. Okay. And then, uh, let's see, through the decades, it was used until around about the 1930s. Is that correct? That's right. The, uh, during the, de- the Depression, uh, funding was uh, tight, and the Coast Guard discontinued the operation of the light in 1933. Uh, The property was turned over to the War Department and the United States Army used the uh, facility to house uh, soldiers and their families from uh, nearby Fort Travis. And then in the um, mid to late 40s, a fellow named E.V. Boyd uh, purchased the property in auction. Who was E.V. Boyd and uh, why did he buy it? What did he have in mind there? All right, so E.V. Boyd was my grandfather. And let's see, it would have been 1946 or 1947. They put it up for auction. Uh, and he knew uh, the property very well because we had ranch, ranching interest on the peninsula. 
and let's see, he would have been 41 or two years old at that time. So, uh, you know, he'd been down there his whole life, uh, most of his whole life uh, as a rancher. And he knew these houses were very well constructed. Uh, he was an engineer, had gone to Texas A&M. And uh, since the Army Corps of Engineers handled the auction, uh, you know, he was aware that this property was uh, available. And so they put a bid in. And there was only one other bid. And so he, uh, they, we were the winning bidders. Did he actually buy it mostly for the land or did he have some grand plan with the lighthouse itself? He bought it for the residence, the construction the of the Coast, Guard, the Coast Guard built house. Uh, it's a incredibly well-built house. Uh, the lighthouse keeper's homes were destroyed in the 1915 hurricane. And the Coast Guard came back and built the houses that are there today in 1917. So they're 103 years old, and they were built <laughs> during World War One. Wow. And they're just excellently well-built houses. So that was uh, pushing 70 years ago, and now we're a few <clears throat> generations later, and, and the ownership is now in the hands of some of the descendants of E.V. Boyd, including yourself, right? Yes, my brother uh, Jefferson Boyd and myself own... Uh, the half of the lighthouse and we have the west half of the property and then our maxwell cousins own the other half uh isla boyt maxwell was uh, one of my grandpa's sisters and uh, when he bought the place in 46 he didn't need both houses so you know she wanted the other one and so uh, she got the other one and uh, they split the property up at that time and is someone living in those houses now no, uh, one of my Maxwell cousins lived there for seven or eight years up to Hurricane Ike, and then uh, Hurricane Ike evicted him <laughs> from, li from living there full time. And and now they're just uh, vacation houses, and uh, that's all ours has ever been. It's been a vacation house. There's never been a full time uh, resident there. Okay, so you you spent some time there as a childhood, but childhood, but never as a full time resident in the area. Is that? That's correct. I grew up in Liberty County, uh, which is just about an hour uh, away from Bolivar uh, Inland, uh, where our main farm and ranch was. And we spent the majority of, of our summers uh, down there my whole life. That's got to be kind of cool to have in a uh, big old lighthouse in your backyard. Uh, as a kid, how, how was it? Was that kind of a neat thing to play around or were you not allowed to go in it or what was that like uh, in your backyard? In endless playtime, uh, you know, it was pretty pretty boring down there as a kid in the middle of the summer because there weren't any other kids, and uh, you know, you could only go to the beach for a couple hours in the morning and a couple hours in the evening. So you're there at the house all day, and and uh, yeah, we played in it extensively. Oh, I bet that's a, that sounds like a blast. Totally good. The uh, lighthouse has not only uh, served as a beacon for uh, ships and boats over the years, but also a bit of a haven for some of the residents during the uh, early 1900s hurricanes, right? There, there were some times it helped save some lives? Yes, in 1900 and in 1915. Uh, and in 1900, uh, it was uh, some local people from the town, and then uh, a good number of people got off of a passenger train that had come from Beaumont and could not continue on its way to Galveston. It's, it's interesting that they had a ferry. It was a barge that they could put train cars on in 1900. Oh my. And, and so that was the normal route and uh, the tide had come up and the train barge couldn't, you know, dock in Bolivar. So the train was going to turn around and go back to Beaumont. Well, the storm's coming in on them and half the people on the train basically got off and stayed in the lighthouse. 
and uh, the half of the, st- the half that stayed on the train and the train crew tried to go back to Beaumont and they all died. Wow. I had heard a bit about that uh, when I was re- researching for this about a train and I couldn't imagine, I've been down there countless times as well, and I couldn't imagine how a train would go anywhere from Bolivar because they clearly didn't have a railroad bridge those several miles across the bay. And I, I had no idea that the train cars were actually on a ferry. That, that's kind of amazing. That's an interesting story by itself. That's they had a barge for it, yeah. And, and there were some large industries down there, too. There was a shrimp canning plant, and then there was an iron ore dock. Okay. The iron ore from East Texas. And uh, But the, that is – to. I, I'm pretty sure that that is to this day the worst uh, railroad disaster in United States history. I think a, I think there is a similar story. I have no idea about the death count, but I think there's a similar story on the Florida Keys with a railroad and and a hurricane coming in and and folks couldn't get out of that hurricane. Um, I don't remember the details on that, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I had no idea that there was a a uh, a railroad route going through there and heading to Galveston. So let's put uh, put your storytelling hat on. Uh, we, this is an a audio medium here, and we've got listeners listening and can't actually see the lighthouse. Try to describe to the listeners what this thing looks like. What is it like to go walk up to it and then walk inside of it and then go up the stairs and get to the top? Well, uh, it hasn't changed just a lot in my lifetime, but I can imagine that back in the day, if you were in 1900 or 1915 and you were – one of the townspeople coming to seek refuge there, it would have been pretty inviting. It would have been painted black and white with horizontal stripes going up, you know, each two sections of, of iron plating is a different color. Uh, the interior is brick that uh, was originally whitewashed. Uh, the stairs are iron and there's an iron handrail. It's a circular stair that winds from the bottom all the way to the top. And the, the star, stairs would have been painted black uh, originally. Uh, so it's got a brick foundation. You walk in, there's a huge iron door, brick floor, and then iron steps going up. How thick are the masonry walls there that are making up the lighthouse? Well, uh, so the structure is really interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's a cylinder of brick that has flying buttresses. That, ex- that radiate out toward the iron walls or, scale, or shell or skin. Uh, so the iron plating is basically just a, a shell that is supported by its own weight and these flying brick buttresses that extend out from the center cone of bricks or t- tower of bricks. Okay, I, I guess I had imagined that the iron was somewhat laminated uh, onto the bricks, but you're saying that there's a bit of a distance between the brick and the iron then, huh? Absolutely. You can walk around the uh, bottom, the ground floor of the lighthouse. You can walk around, and between each buttress, you can look up, and you can see all the way to the top. Wow, okay. That's that's not at all what I imagined. That's really interesting. Really neat. There's There are some pictures uh, on the lighthouse's Facebook page uh, if you if you do Facebook, uh, just search Bolivar Point Lighthouse. Uh, there are a number of interior pictures uh, that that demonstrate this. I think uh, now that you've kind of described that to me, I do remember seeing one picture that was looking up kind of a seemingly endless tunnel of bricks, and that must have been looking up between um, maybe the brick and the metal, uh, perhaps. That's right. That's yeah. right. How many steps are there going up to that thing? 
You know, everybody asks me this question, and I'm embarrassed to say I can't tell you. I don't know. <laughs> Probably just enough uh, to get you out of breath, though, right? <laughs> that's right. So uh, you kind of you kind of lose count when you get to the last two levels because it's not steps anymore; it's ladders, and you have to go up these ladders. And that's where that's where you know people either really want to keep going or they start wanting to go down. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, yeah, 117 feet. Uh, you know, that's like climbing a 10-story building or so, and yeah, that that's quite a workout. Uh, when it get, and it gets narrower and narrower, so so the the walls are literally closing in on you as you go up because it it shrinks. The diameter of the tower is half at the top what it is at the bottom. Okay, that's 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 good. It's it's it is definitely kind of a cone. Uh, kind of a shape, and then it gets more where the walls get more parallel up toward the top in the in the actual uh, in the lantern, right? That's right. If you feel like the walls are closing in, it's because they are. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. So as we get going through this, we'll throw out some few terms. Or I threw out the term lantern. Uh, there's a few unique terms that most people probably are not familiar with uh, with a lighthouse. Like for instance, what is an optic? What is an optic in reference to um, a lighthouse? Well, I would think that that would be the actual lens that the lamp was projecting through. Um, all lighthouses use some kind of magnification lens to enhance the power of the lamp and make it visible farther out to sea. Okay, and then the, the lantern is more or less the big glass room on top, right? Yeah, so that would be the lantern room. Uh, and the, the whole light mechanism was actually two floors of the lighthouse. There is the first floor, which is the what they call the watch room. And uh, since the lighthouse was supposed to revolve all night long, the keepers would wind it up. they go up there late in the day carrying buckets of kerosene, and then they would wind up the clockwork. So the thing would turn all night. Wow. Okay. And so there's a big wind-up mechanism. Uh, and then that sits below the lantern room. And then you would go up and you'd be the windowed glass lantern room where the uh, lens would be and that's where the, the lamp and the wick and they would light the, they would get the kitchen matches out and they would strike a match and light the wick. That's amazing. Uh, so, and you, you alluded to the following uh, a few minutes ago with the day marks. Those are the, the paintings and the stripes and the patterns on the outside that kind of distinguish them. Is that what a day mark is? Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's the day mark. And, um, I believe the uh, the Coast Guard, you know, uh, makes all the lighthouses look a little different for that reason. Uh, you know, uh, Cape Hatteras is a, a swirl of black and white, and some lighthouses are red and white. Uh, and so that's to tell the mariners offshore which lighthouse they're looking at. Uh, the Texas coast, when you're offshore, all looks the same. There's no distinctive stuff on the coast except for the buildings you know the man-made things uh, the big buildings in galveston or the uh you know water towers or things like that i mean if you're offshore texas you don't know where you are yeah there's no mountains mm -hmm. or hills it's all coastal plains for several hundred miles and i can imagine the dunes all the beach all looks the same yeah what is the name for the particular light pattern either flashing or blinking or solid is there a name for that that part of a lighthouse the or that trait of a lighthouse you know, it would be it would be called the characteristic. Okay. So, okay. so in the in a in a in a guide for the mariners, uh, they would say the characteristic of this light would be ten seconds 
uh, on and off blinking white or, you know, they would give the color and the, if it, whether or not it blinks and the, how, how the duration is between blinks. And that would further help the Mariners identify which lighthouse they were looking at. Okay, and there were several different recognized patterns. There was a, a flashing and a culting and, and all sorts of different kind of Morse code type patterns there, right? Yeah, and then continuous. Got it. You know, some, are, some, some are just continuous. Uh, but anyway, that's a, I don't know what uh, – I know that the Bolivar Lighthouse uh, was a revolving characteristic lighthouse. Uh, I don't know, you know if, what the duration of the revolving uh, time intervals was. Uh, I can, my grandma told me she remembered lighting up the sky every you know, 10 seconds or something. Do you have any idea how far out into the uh, sea that this thing would shine? How far away could uh, boats see it? Well, when they first built it, there was a flaw in the lens, and uh, the ship captains complained about it bitterly because it was not very bright at all. And uh, they realized that it had a uh, had a defective lens, and so they had to replace it. And I think it took them a while, but they finally got a good one, and I believe it was visible at twenty miles out. Wow, twenty miles. That's that's you know even even in today's a world where we've got cars that are going fast and all that, uh, 20 miles is a long way, but man, I can imagine for a ship that that's, that's quite a beacon. Quite a beacon. And that'd be, you know, fair weather conditions, uh, optimal conditions. Uh, the, the actual lens from the Bolivar point lighthouse is on display in the Smithsonian American history museum in Washington, DC. Tell us about that. How did that happen? How long ago did that get on display? Um, talk about that story. It's been there for a long time. Uh, I can remember a Smithsonian Magazine article in the 80s, not 80s, maybe the 90s, uh, that had pictures of it. Wow. And uh, that, that was the first I knew that it was there. I'm sure it was there longer. Uh, but it's in a uh, maritime commerce exhibit in the American History Museum. Have you been over to see that in the display? I have. Uh, I have. I've seen it, and it's pretty cool because it's uh, you know, it's about maritime commerce, so they're, they're talking about many different things. But the lighthouse lens is the centerpiece of the display. Wow, that's that's really neat. Uh, any chance that you've kind of uh, knocked on some doors over there and said, hey, this is part of a thing that I own? Is, have you made any connection to that display? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, some uh, friends of mine suggested that we need to go bring a big box in there and, and start boxing it up and see what they say. But uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, the Coast Guard took it out uh, prior to our ownership, so you know we had no claim on it. Well, let's uh, let's finish talking about the old stuff, and let's talk about what the future holds here. Why is this? You know, you're you're starting to undertake a restoration effort, uh, but before we get into that, make a case to the listeners about why this is important. Why should we care about this? Why should we try to restore it? Well, it, it really is iconic to the Texas coast, to Galveston County, and to the generations of people that have driven by on Highway 87. And it's the, it's the first thing you see when you come off the ferry, and it's the last thing you see before you get back on the ferry. Uh, it's just incredibly important, and then it has such history. Uh, the, the two hurricanes where people uh, survived on the stairs uh, the 1915 hurricane, uh, even more people stayed in the lighthouse uh, because there was a shrimp canning factory on the peninsula. And many of the workers and their families uh, came and, and made it into the lighthouse before the tide got too high. 
uh, something like 75 or 80 people. Uh, so it's just, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, the, the lighthouse keeper during the storms uh, was Harry Claiborne. Uh, the Coast Guard has named a large buoy tender after him that's in Galveston, over at the Coast Guard station in Galveston. He was the first lighthouse keeper there, right? He was the lighthouse keeper during birth, both the major hurricanes. You're right, though. This this thing is truly an icon of the area. I bike down there a couple times a year and bike up and down um, Bolivar on my bicycle uh, along the coastline there. It's a real pretty ride, but but that thing you can see it for miles. It is it is definitely a, a major icon of the area. If people are listening to this from I don't know, say maybe the East Coast or whatever, and they they have in their mind what a lighthouse looks like, and it seems like either the East Coast or the Pacific Northwest lighthouses are built on kind of a, maybe a rocky ledge along the ocean or whatever. That is definitely not what this is. The coastal plains of Texas are very flat and very low. So when this thing 100 feet, 120 feet tall, sticking up, you can see it for miles and miles, and it, it is definitely an icon of the area. It, uh, I, w- I would argue, and it would be impossible to verify this, but I would argue that it is the most photographed structure in the state of Texas. I wouldn't be surprised. It is because it's, it so sticks out down there. Well, it has for years, and, and there's so many professional photographers in, in your area down there that love it. And they, they've taken some really cool pictures. Uh, you know, maybe the Alamo and the Capitol uh, get photographed a little more often, but uh, th- those would be the only things I could think of. Yeah, and there were some um, moving pictures, as they say, taken there. There was a, a movie made back in the 70s in, in the houses there and at the lighthouse, right? That's very cool. And I, I was about to watch it again on YouTube the other day. Uh, it's called My Sweet Charlie. It was made in 1970 with uh, Patty Duke and Ed Freeman Jr. Uh, it's a really cool story, and it, it's held up over time. It's not one of these old early 70s movies. It's kind of unwatchable now. It's uh, it's pretty cool, and, and they used our house uh, as the main set. So it, that part's in- interesting, too, because we still have a lot of the furniture that was in the movie. Let's break out of the program here for a few seconds to give a shout out to our sponsor, Puzzometry, the hardest puzzle you'll never solve. If you love working on challenging, unique, and beautiful mechanical puzzles, then you've just got to try Puzzometry. P-U-Z-Z-O-M-E-T-R-Y, Puzzometry.com. They have three different puzzles to choose from and all are for sale at Puzzometry.com. Check it out. You'll be glad that you did. Puzzometry can also be found on Twitter and Facebook. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Lume Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation. Before we get back to the program, I want to let you know that you can find all of the episodes of the Lume Innovation Podcast on our webpage, lumeinnovation.com. That's L-U-M innovation.com, lumeinnovation.com. We are also on iTunes as well as soundcloud.com. like the Galveston Historical Foundation has recognized the importance as well. Uh, about a year ago, they uh, they gave you an honor. What uh, Talk about that a little bit. Well, uh, Galveston Historical Foundation is really good at uh, understanding uh, the importance that these older buildings have for the community, and they put us on their endangered properties list. Uh, endangered because... If we don't do anything, eventually it will go away and won't be there anymore. 
and also uh, it's just it's an important structure. Uh, they uh, they do that to bring attention and awareness to uh, to the needs. So if uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the listing of that on the uh, at risk list doesn't give you a direct benefit necessarily as far as grants or money, but it gives you awareness, which helps you get those other things. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the whole intention right there. Uh, the lighthouse itself uh, was put on the National Register of Historic Places in 1977. And that is the highest level of uh, historic importance that you can get from the government. And do you have a plaque for those things down there along the highway? Um, we did until it got stolen. <laughs> wow. Of all the things to steal, huh? Oh, no, no. Everything is fair game down there. Uh, uh Bricks from the foundation have been stolen over the years, and the plaque off the door for the National Register that was stolen. Uh, and I, I guess we could ride in and try to get a replacement uh, from the whoever manages that. So a few years ago, you guys formed a nonprofit to actually try to get a more formal effort to get some funds raised and get some restoration going. Uh, talk about a bit uh, your your nonprofit that you've formed. Well. It finally came around that all of the uh, vested owners of the lighthouse uh, were in unified agreement that we have to do something. And we can't do it ourselves, so we need help. And the first thing you do is, well, you get a 501c3 nonprofit foundation established, and then you, you start trying to raise some money. And so that's what we've done. Uh, we initially raised enough money to have uh, an assessment conducted on the lighthouse uh, by a, a structural engineer and a preservation architect. Uh, so Chris Hudson, Pat Sparks, Tracy Hirschman came down and uh, did that assessment for us. And their findings were not surprising, but it did uh, put in stark relief what, uh, what needs to be done. And what is that? What 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 is uh, what is that list like? Well, you start. I mean, you immediately talk about what is what is dire and what is emergent. And their recommendations uh, were to have the top of the lighthouse removed immediately because it is a uh, it's a life safety issue. There are pieces of the lighthouse that fall off. These are iron pieces. So a, a, a one-foot piece of iron off the lighthouse might weigh 20 or 30 pounds. And it's falling from 117 feet. So it's like a little hand grenade when it hits the ground. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so to kind of paint a picture for the listeners, is it correct that there's uh, three rows of 12 windows each that wrap around that that make kind of the viewing room up there? Uh, that, that sounds about right. So that's the, that's the lantern room, the very top level. Um, and those windows are all gone now, right? The window frames are there, but there's no glass anymore. Well, and that's another interesting historical story. Uh, the glass has been gone since 1947. Wow. Uh, are you familiar with the Texas city blast? Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, others may not be though. So tell us about it. Well, the Texas city blast in 1947 at the, the docks at Texas city, there was a ship that caught on fire. And unbeknown to the uh, Texas City Volunteer Fire Department, that ship was carrying ammonium nitrate fertilizer. Uh, it's what Tim McBay used to blow up the uh, Murrah building in Oklahoma City in 1996. Uh, it was an entire ship full of it, and it eventually the fire got to it and it blew it up. 
It's the largest uh, explosion uh, in United States history. And uh, uh, Ron Stone from Channel 2 in Houston has written the definitive book about Texas City Blast. It's very good. I recommend it. Yeah, and Texas City uh, is only a few miles north. It is an inland. Well, it's, it's on the coast, but it's it's north of Galveston, maybe by way of the bird, maybe 10, 15 miles, maybe at most. Uh, so it's really maybe, not that far away. Maybe 10 miles from Galveston, but from Bolivar Point, it's only about five miles across the bay. Okay. And uh, this explosion uh, was felt all over southeast Texas. They felt it in Beaumont, uh, but all the glass from the lighthouse was vaporized. And, uh, you know, it even blew a fist-sized hole in the interior masonry wall just from the the blast concussion. Yeah, it's hard to – I've read a bit about that as well and read a book about it. It's hard to describe to the listeners how big of a deal that must have been. It literally blew up the entire city of Texas City, you know, one ship at a time, and then ship after ship catches fire, then factories catch fire, and before you know, the whole city is on fire. Uh, yeah, it, it just it – killed, it killed over 100 people. I don't know how many, but it was it was very devastating – yeah. Uh, you know, my, my grandma, uh, that was right after my grandpa bought the place and, and then it blows up and then my grandma got down there and she saw the house and all the windows were gone Jeez. and she just, she said she cried. She, she, uh, I said, grandma, what'd you do when you saw the beach house? She goes, Oh, I cried. All the windows were gone. <laughs> That's amazing. So that blew out the, um, the, the windows of the, the top of the lighthouse. Uh, when did it officially go dark as far as usability and then it was dark for several years and then you've relit it again now right yeah so the the light was put out in 33 and then there was not a light there until 2005 um after hurricane rita we had a contractor repairing our house and the deck that covers the uh, top of the watch room uh on the lighthouse was bad and, uh, you know, the previous deck had been built by our cow crew in the 70s. And that's just wood, right? The deck of there is just a wood. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's wood with, with roofing material on it. And, uh, and so the deck needed to be rebuilt. And so he rebuilt it, the contractor. His name was Earl Unruh. Very nice guy from Beaumont. Uh, and Earl's guys uh, did a good job on it. And Earl's, Earl had a, a lantern that looks like it came off of some kind of radio tower or something. And he said that he would give it to us if we paid him to run the electricity up there. <laughs> so we said, sure. And uh, we got a lantern put up in 2005. Oh, that's pretty good. So now it is, uh, it is a beacon to the coast once again. And that's, uh, that's, it is good to see. Even you know, the rest of it is uh, kind of old and rusty, but it is neat to see it lit again. That is definitely good. Get back to the list of things that you really need to work on. Like what, what, is, what is your wish list or to-do list with your nonprofit? Well, okay, going back to that, uh, we need to raise more money to have a uh, more thorough assessment of the conditions and needs done to the lighthouse. Uh, you know, the architect and engineer recommended that we remove the top immediately, like as soon as possible. And that means the cupola, the window frames uh, in the lantern room, and then actually the brick and, and iron of the watch room down to the watch room gallery deck. And we're hoping that the watch room gallery deck is going to be usable and, and, and not have to be replaced. Uh, if that could be the limit of the demolition, that would be a win for us. So maybe take the lantern room off and display it somewhere. Is that kind of uh, a hope? 
Oh yeah, yeah. So the the the, the copper top and the bits of iron that are going to come off of it uh, could be a static display on the ground somewhere. Uh, Galveston College has the old South J Lighthouse that was kind of put back together by the, their the kids that work in the iron shop over there, and uh, it looks pretty cool. Okay, but uh, I'm not expecting there to be, to be very much left of it when it comes off. I see. So your your current vision is that uh, perhaps the, the, the light would come off permanently and be on display, but you would still have the structure there and, and have it restored and looking new and nice again. Yeah, we would like to uh, be able to rebuild the top two levels of the lighthouse, uh, including all the fine iron handrails that are gone completely, uh, and then go down through the tower and every point of contact between iron and masonry every stair tread where the handrails led into the masonry walls, all that has to be chipped out, re-coated, you know, cleaned, coated, and then put back with new masonry. Uh, every point of contact. So that means every stair tread, everything. So that's a huge job. But that's something, you know, anytime the, the masonry and the iron come in contact, uh, that's a that's a point that has to be worked on. Gotcha. Is that? And then the, that, there's a lot of lead removal. A lot of lead removal has to happen too. I bet. I bet so. Yeah. The building uh, methods were way different back then. Is that the original iron uh, stairway going up it? Is that? Yeah. No, it's all original. Uh, the, and and we're really lucky in that aspect uh, compared to another lighthouse that's being restored, the Sabine Pass Lighthouse. Uh, they lost their stairway uh, years ago. And so they're having to have that refabricated, and that's a that's a big job. Uh, we're fortunate in that respect. So there's there's a lot to work with on the Balkan Point Lighthouse. Uh, it is not a project that is impossible, but uh, you know we need help, and you know the ultimate goal is to open this thing to the public for the first time ever and have visitors that can come in. Uh, you know, have it managed professionally by a uh, an outside group uh, that would you know have a long term lease on it for you know decades long deal, and and have it be a tourist attraction. You know, where people can go up. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, that definitely would be a really really nice thing. So, if I remember right, I saw online where your uh, your current funding goal or your funding need is about two and a half million dollars. Is that is that still accurate? That's accurate. Uh, that's the best estimate we have right now from the very limited assessment that was conducted. Uh, we need to have a more thorough assessment done. That would definitely get us started. Uh, we'd feel like uh, we'd feel like we had some momentum. If we got half that much money, we would feel like we had momentum. Uh, we just currently don't have very much momentum right now. What are you currently doing uh, to try to get grants or to try to raise money or awareness? What are some of the efforts that are going on with your team to do that? Well, it's been start and stop. Uh, we don't have a professional grant writer. That may be one of the things we have to do real soon. Uh, the family members that are shepherding the project as it is, uh, you know, everyone has full-time jobs. Everyone has families. Uh, so there's not a full-time uh, attention on this project. I can imagine that, yeah, with everyone having their full-time job, that this becomes maybe something slightly more than a hobby, but not much more, but just because you don't have the time, I can, I can understand that. 
Well, and, that, and that's a problem. So we, you know, we realize that uh, we we would love to get into discussions with uh, an outside group about long-term management, uh, but we don't know what that looks like right now. We don't know if that's a, a public group, private group, uh, or something in between. Yeah. Are there uh, are there any federal grants or anything that are specific for maintaining lighthouses? Is that is that a category that's out there? I don't know if there's there are federal grants, but there are definitely private uh, lighthouse associations uh, that do grants, and we have applied for some of those. Uh, we've not been successful. Uh, we've applied uh, for some other grants that have not been successful. Uh, it's kind of hard when you're a foundation that's brand new and you don't have any track record and you're going up against established groups and, you know, very worthy projects. Uh, but uh, th- there should be, there should be some money out there and there should be some avenues for us to, uh, to take advantage of, of uh, the grants that are out there. Uh, but, you know, uh, we're not professionals at this. We don't, you know, no one has any experience doing this yes. in our group. That's learned so we need help. Yeah, no, need I help. totally understand. And I can understand from the grant giver's perspective as well that they wouldn't necessarily want to give a big grant to a new group that hasn't proven that they know how to handle it. So I, I can understand that side as well. But but everyone's got to start somewhere. So You, you have to start somewhere. Uh, the uh, Texas Historical Commission could be a, uh, a help to us. Uh, Texas Department of Transportation could be a help to us. Uh, they don't have the grant program anymore, but they did where they were addressing historical uh, structures throughout the, uh, the area. Uh, the, the Highway 90 bridge over the Trinity River in Liberty is an old 1930s uh, cantilever trust style bridge. And uh, TxDOT spending $9 million to restore that bridge. Wow. That's and, a, uh, instead it, of building a new, they're going to restore to keep the heritage there, the history. Well, it's, it's going to be a pedestrian bridge. They're not going to, it's not going to have cars. It doesn't have cars on it now. It hasn't for years. And they bypassed it with a new bridge years ago. But they're going to keep it there. And they're going to spend $9 million. Well, we don't need $9 million. Uh, we need something short of that and uh, would love to have some help. Okay. And that's, you know, you're doing the right thing by getting into nonprofit and uh, perhaps uh, – the right person is listening to this or all the other ways you've got in the media and, and we can get some help going your way. One thing that occurred to me uh, in the process of kind of retelling the story of the lighthouse and bringing it back to life is that it might be a cool connection. You mentioned earlier H.C. Uh, Claiborne, the uh, one of the former uh, lighthouse keepers. It might be interesting if you could kind of trace the family trees of former lighthouse keepers and connect with those. Have you made any effort to try to get in touch with some of the descendants of the former lighthouse keepers? Yeah, so we have not reached out to them, but uh, they have reached out to us. Uh, not not descendants of Claiborne specifically, but the assistant keeper uh, during uh, one or both of the major storms, at least the second one, was uh, a guy named Brooks. Uh, his last name was Brooks. And his great-grandson is a singer-songwriter from Dallas, and he wrote a song about the lighthouse. Wow. It's, pr- it's pretty incredible. His guy's name is Justin Brooks. Uh, and it's a cool song, and it's on the Lighthouse Facebook page. You know the name of the song? Uh, uh, it's called. Uh, I want to say it's called "The Candle by the Shore." Okay, "The Candle by the Shore." 
Tell you what, when we're done yeah. here, I'm going to go look it up. <laughs> look at look him up on YouTube. Look up Justin uh, Brooks on YouTube, and you'll you'll find it. Very cool. Yeah, I just thought that might be a neat connection. Uh, you know, maybe someday when this gets open to the public, that perhaps some of the descendants of the lighthouse keepers could be there as part of the part of the festivities or part of maybe even a, an employee there. That would be a kind of really neat way to uh, kind of tie it all together. It seems. Well, Mr. Brooks is going to be there playing the song for us if we ever have any kind of dedication. So. Very cool. Very we've got, cool. We've got we've got that one lined out, but so having some of the Claiborne descendants down would be awesome. Hey, this is Jim from the future, and uh, after we recorded the show a few days ago, I reached out to Justin Philip Brooks from the Dallas area, as Mark told us, and uh, I asked him if he was okay with us playing the song "Candle on the Shore." And he said, yeah, sure, that would be great. He was happy to get more publicity for the Lighthouse, and uh, and I'm happy to get more publicity for him. So Justin Philip Brooks, Candle on the Shore. This song is about his great-grandfather, who was a lighthouse keeper for the Bolivar Point Lighthouse, way back in 1915. Uh, for those of you not familiar with uh, the Houston and Galveston area, 1915 was the year of one of the really big hurricanes here that killed a lot of folks. And the lighthouse served as a refuge for many people, many dozens of people, in fact, that uh, took refuge inside the lighthouse and were sitting two by two on the stairwell as uh, the stairs spiraled upwards. Two, by, two people each were on the stairs, and several dozen people were saved from the hurricane, from the rising water and the winds on the, uh, the stairs of the lighthouse. And that story is told in this song. Again, Justin Philip Brooks, Candle on the Shore. Hurricane a-brewing on the bay Hurricane a-brewing on the bay If you wanna see the light of day Oh, listen close, hear what I say Make your way for the candle on the shore Look for that light in the stripes of black and white Look for that light in the stripes of black and white Quick now run with all your might That light's gonna save your life tonight And make your way for candle on the shore There's a keeper man who goes by JPB There's a keeper man who goes by JPB He'll take you in for he well knows that storm from 15 years ago Knock on that door of the candle on the shore There were 60 souls in the stairwell two by two 60 souls in the stairwell two by two Fifteen years ago we stayed alive when we numbered 125 Safe from that storm and the candle on the shore
get swayed in the wind like a giant reed. Should get swayed in the wind like a giant reed. Will keep a man do the best he can, barroom and blown doors turning next by hand as the rain then poured on the candle on the shore. Well, I step outside when the wind and rain subside. Step outside when the wind and rain subside. We'll never forget what I see. That August 1950. There wasn't nothing left but the candle on the show. Oh, but thank God for the candle on the show. Always look for the candle on the show. That's Justin Philip Brooks, Candle on the Shore, the story of the Bolivar. Point Lighthouse from 1915. Justin Philip Brooks. His music is, uh, I guess you could say, Texas folk with just a shot of country. JustinPhilipBrooks.com. His music is available on Amazon as well as Bandcamp and probably a few other places that you guys know better than I do. But yeah, Justin Philip Brooks, Candle on the Shore, the story of the lighthouse. Now let's get back to the show with Mark Boyd, one of the co-owners of the Bolivar Point Lighthouse. So the lighthouses, we all think of uh, turn of the century, of the last century. Uh, but are there lighthouses in the country that are actually still functional, not only in not only functional as far as being lights, but are actually still used as navigation aids? Are they still used these days? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, Cape Hatteras is a very large, tall lighthouse in North Carolina, and uh, they they just moved it back. They picked up the entire thing and moved it about 150 yards back because the beach was eroding in front of it and uh, around Florida. And then uh, the number one place for lighthouses are the Great Lakes. Yeah. I was surprised by that, that uh, there was, I forget what year it was when I was researching that Michigan at one point, perhaps still has the most lighthouses of any state. Yeah. And they're very, they're very necessary. So uh, they haven't, they haven't gone away. Uh, The, you know, Bolivar light was replaced uh, by a, electric light that's on a tower over by the North jetty and, uh, the South jetty light was, you know, similar thing. Uh, the, the Bolivar lighthouse and the South jetty lighthouse were built to work together. Okay. Cause the Bolivar light is ranged inside the entrance to the bay and the South jetty light is out at the base of the South jetty. The ships coming in could line them up to know if they were headed for the mouth of the bay or not. Oh, I see. Okay. How far away is the South Jetty from uh, from the lighthouse? Uh, it's probably four miles, three, three to three and a half to four miles. And is that on the Bolivar side or Galveston side? It's Galveston. So the, the South Jetty is in Galveston and the North Jetty is on the Bolivar side. Got it. And that's uh, a couple miles or so across the channel there, right? So Yeah. The, the North Jetty in Port Bolivar was built in 1885. And to this day, it's the longest rock jetty in the world. 
five miles. It, it, it extends five miles out into the Gulf. That's pretty amazing. And the, the Texas City Dyke you'd mentioned earlier is another one that sticks out about five miles, built for a bit of a different purpose, but uh, it's it's a long one as well. Really good fishing out there. Definitely. Oh, yeah, well, and, and, and sailing. That's a great place to go launch a, a small sailboat. Thank you for joining uh, joining the podcast here, Mark Boyt. Can you give a shout-out to your website uh, so folks can know how to not only learn more, but more importantly to help donate to your cause? And, and let's get this thing lit up again and uh, restored and, uh, and looking, looking nice and new again. Yeah, Jim, I appreciate you letting me on. Uh, you know, I just want to drive home that the Boyt and Maxwell families are committed to turning this thing over for public access if we're successful in making it safe and, you know, being able to have visitors come and, and go in the lighthouse and touch it and go up the lighthouse if they, if they feel like they can. Uh, but that's the, that's the goal is that we want to preserve this piece of history. It's so important to Southeast Texas that, uh, you know, we feel like the support's there. We just have to, you know, get it marshaled and get people behind us. Uh, the website uh, for the lighthouse is bolliverpointlighthouse.org. Uh, you can also reach us on Facebook. Uh, the Facebook page gets a lot of cool pictures put to it, submitted by uh, you know stuff we found out of National Archives, and and then you know the photographers down there are always taking cool pictures. But please have people check out our pages, and uh, if they'd like to help us, we, we certainly appreciate it. Yeah, you're, uh, I have checked out your Facebook page. It is pretty active. There are a lot of pictures on there, a lot of old pictures, uh, some newer ones as well. It is cool to see uh, what that looked like before the rust overtook it uh, with the white and black stripes. Uh, that's, that's definitely neat to see what it, what it looked like back in the day. Um, it, is, it is looking kind of rusty now, but it, the actual shell of it, it's structurally sound, right? I mean, it it's, uh, needs some work, but it's not any risk of the, the iron falling off or anything, right? There's not, uh, uh, you know, the iron, the heavy iron pieces are in great shape for how old they are. Uh, the finer iron work at the top is a huge problem and it's, it's, it's crumbling away to nothing or it's already gone. Uh, the top of the lighthouse could come off in a big storm that keeps me up at night sometimes. Uh, you know, pieces fall off. We don't want anybody hit walking around the bottom of the lighthouse, hit by a piece of iron falling off of it. So if there's a donor uh, out there right now willing to help, how much would it take just to handle that relatively small part of the top of it? What what, is, what kind of dollars are you talking about there for that part of it? Well, that would be a heck of a way to get people's attention. Uh, if we took the top of the lighthouse off, uh, people would come out of their socks unglued about it. Uh, but it wouldn't be that expensive. Uh, you know, you have to rent a crane, uh, you have to have some scaffolding, maybe, maybe not, but 20, 20, $30,000, you could have the demolition of the top. Time. Wow. Okay. That, and that, like you said, that would be a really big start. So, so if there's anyone out there listening, um, that, um, wants to learn more about it, go to bolliverpointlighthouse.org and then also look that up on Facebook and you'll see plenty of cool pictures and and if you live here in Southeast Texas in the Houston Galveston metro area, just take a day trip, go down and see it. Uh, it's definitely a neat thing to see. Uh, it, it is it is a re- really cool thing, and that's actually why I, why I called you up a few days ago to uh, to try to do this story because it's it is kind of a beacon to the community, a beacon to the area, and it, it's really neat to see. And it sure would be cool to see it kind of brand new again. 
Yep, and you, know, you don't have to wait in the ferry line to walk on the ferry and ride the boat. That, that is a cool thing. Uh, even with COVID, I think they're still allowing pedestrians on the ferry. Uh, they don't want to get people getting out of their cars. But if you show up there on a bicycle or if you show up there walking, uh, I don't think they'll turn you away, and you can ride the ferry without waiting in line. Yeah, I do, I do exactly that at least once a year. I, I, I get it, get my bike, get put it in the car, and go down and park on the Gallison side of the ferry and then bike uh, on the ferry and across and then bike up and down Bolivar. Uh, that is an excellent way to do it. And in the summertime, especially on the weekends, the car line can be an hour-long wait for the ferry or so. But doing it uh, on foot or on a bike is a good way to eliminate that line. You can get right on the ferry and get across. That's right. And when it's a great, it's a great boat ride. I mean, I, I love riding on the ferry, but I hate waiting in the line. Yeah, you're so. right. And it's a very common thing to see dolphins there on the ferry ride. So, uh, if you're able to get out of the car with all the COVID stuff, get out and stand along the edge of the ferry, and uh, you'll you'll see uh, dolphins and probably even some jellyfish too at the right time of the year. So you see dolphins just about every time. Yeah. Well, very cool. Thanks for joining us today, Mark. It's uh, Mark Boyd. He is one of the co-owners for the Bolivar Point Lighthouse, and that's bolivarpointlighthouse.org. Go check it out. Go learn more and do what you can to take a few bucks out of your wallet and uh, help them out. Let's get this thing back alive and bring it back to life and make it look nice and new again. Thanks for listening to the Luminovation Podcast. I'm Jim Fox, and thank you for listening to the Luminovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live.